1: On August 16, 2022, President Joe Biden signed the Inflation Reduction Act into law. This piece of legislation is the single biggest step forward by the United States government, focusing on our changing climate. Today on Weather Geeks, we'll be joined by environmental scientist and climate journalist Dana Nucitelli to discuss the impacts that the Inflation Reduction Act will have on our climate. Dana, thank you for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, there's a question that's it's just a standard question for every Weather Geeks guest. And I usually say, well, how did you become a weather geek? But in this case, I think I'm going to ask you, how did you become a climate geek?
0: Oh, well, I mean, I got I first got interested when I saw uh, Al Gore's film An Inconvenient Truth back in I think it was 2006, uh, which at that time, like I had very little notion of global warming and climate change. And then I went and saw that film. and I remember coming out of the theater and thinking to myself, like, if this is accurate, then how is it possible that we're not doing anything to solve this problem? And so I spent the next several years just on my own researching and reading as much as I could, you know, papers, books, uh, you know, magazine articles, anything on climate change to kind of get a sense to about the basic climate science and the accuracy of the film.
1: And just to give you a little bit of Dana's background, uh, he has a master's degree from University of California, Davis in physics and a BA in astrophysics from the University of California, Berkeley. Uh, He is currently the research coordinator for Citizens Climate Lobby. Uh, He's a climate writer for Yale Climate Connections an environmental scientist with Tetra Tech and has previously been a climate blogger with The Guardian and a research and teaching assistant at UC Davis. So he's someone that if you're on social media or just in the know in the climate circles, you know his name. He's certainly around and really an honor to be able to talk to him. I think most people that are listening to the podcast are at least familiar with this bill and its passage uh, signed by President Biden and also passed by the Congress. But what are the implications from a climate perspective?
0: Yeah, I mean, the implications are are huge and, and hard to overstate because we've been working, trying to get some kind of federal climate bill passed for for decades now, just having no luck. Um, and so finally, we got this big bill that does a whole lot of stuff to reduce America's greenhouse gas emissions and at least get us closer to meeting our 2030 paris target it doesn't get us all the way there but we were going to be like roughly halfway short of that of that target which is like a pretty big failure and now we're most of the way there we're about you know 80% of the way to our our stated target for paris
1: now you mentioned the paris agreement and the targets what are they
0: yeah, so they were recently updated by the Biden administration uh, that committed the United States to reducing our greenhouse gas emissions 50% below 2005 levels by 2030, and we were on track to be about 25 to 30% below 2005 levels by 2030 uh, based on like pre-Inflation uh, Reduction Act policies. Uh, so now with uh, the Inflation Reduction Act and the emissions reductions it's projected to achieve, we're going to be on track for about 40% below 2005 by 2030. So, you know, 40% is not 50%, but it gets us a lot closer than like 25 to
1: 30%. And these reductions that we're talking about, it's really the mitigation space. So give the listeners a 101 on mitigation versus adaptation in terms of dealing with climate.
0: Sure. I mean, we have to do both uh, because, you know, no matter how much you reduce our emissions, there are still going to be future additional climate change impacts just due to the warming that's already kind of in the pipeline based on the greenhouse gases we've already put into the atmosphere. Um, So we have to first mitigate the problem, which is reducing our greenhouse gas emissions, eventually getting them down to zero, which would then, you know, basically freeze global warming at at the levels uh, at which they are at. At, at temperatures are when we reach net zero emissions. But then additionally, because of the warming that's going to occur uh, in, in the meantime, as we get our emissions down to zero, there's gonna be different climate change impacts like extreme heat events and hurricanes getting worse and flooding getting worse and all these different impacts that we have to try to adapt to um, and prepare for because we know they're coming, we know they're gonna get worse. And so we wanna minimize the impact on people by preparing and adapting for those changes we know are coming.
1: And, and the reason I mentioned that is many people are familiar with solution space, but may not realize that there are a couple of different approaches. And then there's even geoengineering and climate inter- intervention approaches out. Uh, but that's, that's the two that you often hear from a policy discussion, this idea of mitigation and adaptation. I want to come back to the bill. Here are some talking points. I'm going to read them off individually and get your reaction to them in terms of how we move forward on climate. One of the things that you hear is that this bill lowers energy costs for Americans. Do you agree with that? And what are the implications of that for fighting climate change?
0: Yeah, so there's been modeling on that too. And that's indicated that uh, average American energy costs are going to reduce by about $200 uh, by 2030 per year as a result of the measures in the Inflation Reduction Act it's basically because we're doing all these tax credits for renewable energy and so we're going to be getting a whole lot more wind uh wind, when wind, wind, wind farms and solar farms deployed and wind and solar are very cheap sources of electricity and so overall that's going to reduce electricity costs and so household energy bills decrease and also uh energy bills decrease for businesses and so then the, the businesses pass those energy savings on to consumers and so overall uh overall cost for households decreased by roughly two hundred dollars per year uh, over the next eight years.
1: The other thing that you hear is that it increases American energy security.
0: Yeah, um, that's that's true, because as we kind of electrify and are using uh, more technologies that use domestic electricity rather than relying on fossil fuels, like, for example, switching from gas powered cars to electric cars. So instead of using gasoline and, and oil from the global market we're using electricity from that's got to be produced domestically because it's on our domestic electric grid. And so the more we're switching to these domestic electricity sources and technologies that uh, rely or, and are fueled by uh, domestic electricity that reduces our dependence on these kind of unstable global fossil fuel markets and so in that sense it, it increases our domestic energy security because we're not relying on you know, the, the global uh, oil market as so much.
1: And along those same lines, uh, one thing that is often stated about this bill is that it invests in decarbonizing all sectors of the economy.
0: Yeah, so for sure, we're going to decarbonize the electric because, as I mentioned, we're going to be deploying more wind turbines and solar panels um, and other clean technologies. Um, There's also a lot of investments in other sectors, like I mentioned, electric cars. We're trying to decarbonize the transportation sector. Um, There's been other investments in also uh, encouraging public transit, uh, and, uh, and, and rail transport, uh, from that was actually from the bipartisan infrastructure bill that passed late last year. Uh, but in the inflation reduction act, there's a lot for electric vehicles, both, uh, cars, also light trucks, heavy duty trucks, buses. Uh, so trying to decarbonize the transportation sector through all those different technologies. Uh, there's also the, uh, the, the building sector, um, mostly homes trying to get people to change from uh, fossil fuel powered furnaces and ovens and uh, water heaters to electric versions so that will decarbonize the encourage the decarbonization of the uh pot, the building sector as well uh, there's also industry uh there's measures in there to try to decarbonize industry as best as we can that's a difficult sector to de- de- decarbonize uh, but there are uh, some things like carbon capture and storage for applications in industry that are very difficult to electrify so if they have to use uh, fossil fuels, we want them to at least capture the carbon that is released uh, when they're using those fossil fuels in those applications. And so there's uh, investments into carbon capture and storage to try to decarbonize in industry as well. So try to get it every possible sector, really, to decarbonize them all. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret?
1: And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia. And I'm speaking with Dana Nuttitelli about the climate impacts of the Inflation Reduction Act. Now, I know some of you are listening to this. It's not that I'm psychic or anything, but I know some of you are listening to this and think, wait a minute, Dr. Shepard, why are you going into this politics? Why are you talking politics and climate change? You know, there's this myth out there that talking climate change is political. Well, it's not. Um, you know, the ice, as David Titley says, doesn't care whether you're red or blue. It just melts. Uh, the storms don't care whether you're a Democrat or Republican. They just happen. And so this isn't a political issue. It's an issue that affects every citizen and every person living on this planet. And in fact, you heard Dana talk about the bipartisan, bipartisan infrastructure bill. And so we know that, that, that both sides of the aisles are thinking about these issues. I've testified before Congress and talked to people on both sides of the aisle. So I know that to be the case as well. So I just wanted to kind of establish that. But let me get your thoughts on what I just said, Dana.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, I work for Citizens Climate Lobby, and we tried very hard to get both sides of the aisle to work on climate change solutions. Um, The uh, Inflation Reduction Act was a partisan bill, because mostly because of the way it was done through budget reconciliation. So Republicans couldn't get on board with that process. But as you mentioned, there is the Bipartisan Infrastructure Bill that was passed last year. Uh, There was also a Bipartisan uh, Chips and Science Act, which kind of invests in a lot of research, uh, quite a bit of it that is going to hopefully results in some new technologies that will uh, be good for the climate, uh, new clean energy technologies and, and things like that. That was a bipartisan bill. Um, there's also a lot of support among conservatives for some natural solutions like uh, planting more trees and, and forestry policy and agriculture policy and things like that that we're trying to work on and encourage. So uh, there is definitely some you know growing bipartisan um, efforts to get more climate policy that we're trying to uh, grow and encourage. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's sometimes it can be a bipartisan space or a, a partisan space that we try to make it a more bipartisan space.
1: Well, well, I think the partisanship has always been sort of on the idea of what do we do about it? I, I participated in a White House discussion earlier in the year, I believe, on climate delayism. Um, This idea that I think we've moved beyond this argument that climate is changing and anyone is still doubting that. I mean, that's just very small segments sort of crying in the in the woods there. I think we kind of move beyond that, but there this climate delay is, okay, what do we do about it? It's going to cost too much. It's going to hurt cert, certain sectors of our economy. and I think that has been uh, some of the holdup. I, it always comes back to Upton Sinclair's uh, statement. It's difficult to get someone to understand something when their salary depends on them not understanding it. So what would you say about this idea? Does this get us out of the climate delayism at least?
0: yeah i mean even you know back you know five ten years ago when the arguments were seemingly about the science i think it was pretty clear that you know those arguments actually stemmed from uh, disagreements about what to do about the problem and like you know conservatives not really up like opposing the solutions that were being proposed by progressives um so we've kind of moved beyond that now and now it's kind of more it's a lot clearer that those arguments are about the solutions to the problem and you know, policy disagreements on different sides of the aisle so it's been encouraging, at least, that we have moved away from those those science arguments that were they were never very good arguments, and it was always clear that you know which side of the science was on. Um, so we're not arguing about the science so much anymore, and that's been a relief. And now you know there are definitely policy disagreements. The, the challenge is like there is now we've waited so long that there's so much we need to do. To get the climate crisis under control that you know even the policy disagreements can be very frustrating because like we feel like we need to just get moving on this and get as much done as quickly as we can um but you know at least we're not arguing about the science anymore so that's a relief
1: now coming back to the 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 act itself we were walking through some of the talking often here as it relates to how this bill is going to help two other areas that i wanted to get your thoughts on one uh it supports resilient rural communities
0: Yeah, so there's a lot in there uh, to encourage uh, things like uh, clean energy deployments in rural communities, uh, projects like solar farms and wind farms and things like that. Those are actually tend to get placed in rural communities because you're gonna put a a wind turbine or a solar farm in an area where there's cheap land and in cities, land tends to be very expensive. And so anytime you can deploy a lot of clean energy, it tends to benefit rural communities because kind of that's just where there's land. There's also like farmers have a lot of land that they can you know put a bunch of wind turbines on their farm to just lease that land and continue growing their crops. And they get this benefit of this this leasing funding coming into them from their land while they're still you know doing selling their crops and growing their crops. And so there's definitely a lot of benefits for rural communities uh, from this from this bill.
1: And on the other side of the ledger, oftentimes in urban communities, we have marginalized, disadvantaged communities, communities of color, uh, certainly in rural communities as well. Uh, This bill has investments to help disadvantaged communities, and we know uh, study after study continues to show that um, poor communities, communities of color, elderly, children are uh, disproportionately impacted by extreme weather climate events, whether it's a hurricane, a heat wave or a flood. So talk to us a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're disproportionately impacted by extreme weather and also by air pollution. Um, and so this bill does a lot to try to deploy clean energy and clean technologies, especially in disadvantaged communities. There's something like $60 billion uh, specifically directed towards environmental justice projects. Um, and I so saw on this topic, I talked to Drew Shindell, who uh, he used to be a NASA climate modeler. And now he's moved over to Duke University. And he's focusing on. Kind of air pollution and health impacts modeling, uh, so I consider him like the foremost expert on this subject. And he's got a really good model where you can kind of translate what you know climate policy will do in terms of phasing out fossil fuels and reducing air pollution and impacts on public health. And based on his modeling, we would prevent about 180,000 premature American deaths over the next eight years due to the phasing out of fossil fuels and air pollution from the uh, from this. From this bill and the things that it does to phase out fossil fuels, and a lot of those premature deaths being avoided are going to happen in kind of disadvantaged communities that are located closest to those sources of pollution, whether they be like power plants or very busy roads where people are living or have their homes near highways, um, other just point sources of pollution that are disproportionately impacting particularly disadvantaged urban communities. And the more we can phase out those fossil fuels, the quicker, the more quickly we can do it, the bigger impact it has on benefiting those disadvantaged communities. You
1: you really touched on something that gets lost in the discussion. It's always been baffling to me uh, when there were debates or discussions, excuse me, about climate warming. It's always lost in the discussion that this is producing cleaner energy, uh, reductions in air pollution air quality things that affect us all that that often gets lost in the discussion. So I wanted to pivot to a question. Uh, I'm sure you get this question and people are always curious that are listening. Uh, What are some of the ways that citizens and people here in the country can reduce pollution, um, lower their own carbon footprints and help with this greener future
0: yeah and this bill does a lot to help people do that um, a really good way is if you got a natural gas stove in your house that is producing a lot of indoor air pollution that results in things like childhood asthma and other uh, lung uh, health impacts uh, so if you can tr- you know, transition away from your and replace your Uh, your natural gas, fossil fuel stove with an electric stove, then that'll do a whole lot to improve your indoor air quality and and your health. And this bill has got rebates to help people do that. It's it's particularly, it's got the biggest rebates for the lowest income households. Um, So we're really trying to help low income households, uh, but just American households in general, transition away from uh, those kinds of fossil fuel burning indoors. There's also, if you've got a fossil fuel uh, water water heater, it's got... uh, rebates and tax credits to help you transition towards uh, an electric heat pump water heater. Um, So those are kind of two good ways to uh, reduce indoor air pollution. Uh, And then there's also like local air pollution from cars. Again, you can, there's rebates for electric cars or also there's a lot of uh, rebates both uh, in this bill and from the, again, the bipartisan infrastructure bill had funding to help uh, communities transition from school buses being diesel powered, which produce a whole lot of local air pollution that our kids are breathing because they're sitting there waiting for the bus and the bus comes by and suddenly they're breathing all this pollution from the diesel exhaust. To help them tr- replace those with electric school buses. So then the air is clean. The, we don't have to worry about the kids breathing this diesel exhaust and having all the associated health problems uh, from breathing that. So those kinds of things to transition away from fossil fuel burning technologies towards clean electric technologies are really important for people's health.
1: So we so we have this bill signed into law. And that we we all think that it's a positive step forward for the climate and for public health, our energy infrastructure, energy independence and so forth. Uh, we, we 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 applaud this effort, but we, we know that it's just a step and it's not the end all be all. So from your perspective, Dana, where do we go from here?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, as I mentioned, it'll get us to 40 percent reductions by 2030, where we need to get our target is 50 percent and then even beyond 2030. We eventually have to get to net zero. We have a commitment in the United States to get to net zero emissions by 2050. So then we have the other 50% of our emissions that we have to get rid of over the next two decades. So there is a lot more work to do. Um, I, one really good way to do it would be if we could put a price on carbon pollution, because that gets across, you know, it gets to the source of the problem, which is the greenhouse gas pollution. Uh, and it gets at every sector of the economy all at once. So that's kind of the most thorough and efficient way to do it. Uh, It's been difficult to get that to happen in Congress. Although we came very close in this budget reconciliation process, like supposedly we had 49 senators and Joe Manchin couldn't quite get on board with a carbon price, um, especially with concerns about suddenly inflation went out of control. And a lot of that was due to fossil fuel prices being very high. And so then there's a concern if you put a price on carbon pollution, then that's going to make fossil fuel prices and inflation get worse. So the timing didn't quite work. So we're still going to keep working on that. Um, but there's you know, a lot of different things that can be done policy wise If you know, if it's going to depend on what the next Congress looks like, because, you know, there's different uh, solutions that conservatives prefer versus progressives. And so, you know, if there's more like, for, for example, if Republicans take control of the House in the next election, then we have to be looking for solutions that uh, Republicans can get on board with because they're going to have to approve it through the House if that's the case, uh, in which case we're we'll looking at things like natural solutions like uh Building uh, like planting more trees and doing urban forests and in forest policy and agricultural solutions and things like that. Um, so it's going to depend on uh, exactly what the next Congress looks like, how we proceed, um, to you know to determine what are the specific policies that the next Congress can get on board with.
1: Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and I'm speaking with Dana Nutitelli about the climate impacts of the Inflation Reduction Act. But I want to sort of veer from that topic now because I've, I've followed Dana for some time now, and he's he's really sort of a, a mover and shaker in the world of climate science and also climate communication communication. Uh, Talk to me a little bit about your sort of view of the landscape. You've alluded to this a little bit. Are we communicating climate better or are we still hearing the same what I call zombie theories that are out there in terms of things that people will throw out at us like, oh, climate changes naturally or it's the sun or, um, you know, it was warmer in 1990. You know, these things we've heard that have long been refuted by the science. I mean are we just where would you think that we are right now because I know you know the types of things that I'm referring to as well. Uh where are we now and what are our biggest challenges in terms of the overall messaging and in conveying of climate uh the, the climate crisis?
0: Yeah, I mean, they're called zombie arguments because you can never quite kill them altogether. Um so, you know, those arguments we always hear are like it's not happening or it's not bad or it's not caused by humans, like we always hear those Somewhat, but we're definitely hearing them much, much, much less frequently over time, uh, which is what I was alluding to earlier about the argument not really being about the science anymore and now about being about the policy, um, especially like in Congress. We would often in the past hear a lot of those zombie arguments. And now they're very, very rare to happen in Congress, which is really the important place, because that's where we're trying to get the climate policies passed. So
1: you mean there are no, um, no snowballs in Congress these days? <laughs>
0: there's no more snowballs these days. It's been a relief. There's there's very few of those cringeworthy events happening in Congress anymore. there's still a few, there's still a few holdouts, um, but for the most part, those are very rare these days, which has been a real relief. Um, on the internet, you'll still see a few of them, but even on the internet, it's much, much less frequent than it used to be. Most of the arguments have moved on to like where they should have been in the first place, which is about policy and solutions. So that's been a relief. Um, in terms of messaging, like I think, like scientists have always kind of done their job in communicating. Here's what the science says. Here's what the evidence says. Um, and you know, I think the shortcoming in the past has been in the media where there was a whole lot of kind of false balance, both sides. Like here's what one side says, and here's what the other side says. And one side was like climate scientist, and the other side was like a fossil fuel spokesperson. So there was a lot of that in the past, and the media has gotten much, much better about getting rid of that false balance and just you know saying here's what the science says. Let's talk about the policy now and the solutions. Um, So that's been a relief because that was a big issue that I was always complaining about, even as, you know, five, 10 years ago, and it's just gotten much, much better in recent years, Um, especially like mainstream media outlets. They don't do this kind of false balance very much anymore. So that's been a really big improvement that I think has really helped the discourse that we're not doing this like one-on-one, both sides, still arguing about the science uh, and that we're moved on to like, accepting that science is settled and established and talking about what can we do to solve the problem.
1: Yeah, I I agree with you. And I I think that we saw a little of that in the uh, pandemic coronavirus era as well. Uh, I think the science has eventually sort of won the day in terms of uh, what we knew was going to happen at the beginning of the pandemic, but even the efficacy of the vaccines and so forth. And I think we've sort of seen that in, in climate as well, although there's certainly still challenges. Now, you're you're an author, a writer. Tell us about some of the things that you have out there that might be of interest to our, our listeners here on Weather Geeks.
0: Sure. I mean, I published a book, but it's a little bit outdated now. It was in 2015 called Climatology versus Pseudoscience. Uh, But if anybody's interested, that book is still available. Um, And now I'm currently writing for Yale Climate Connections. I do roughly one per month. I did, my last one was about the Inflation Reduction Act and everything that's in it and what it's gonna do for, to benefit the climate and health and the economy. And so it's kind of a grand overview of the Inflation Reduction Act. Um, But yeah, like I said, I write for the Yale Climate Connections once per month. I'll also, I write blogs for uh, Citizens Climate Lobby. Um, and I do some stuff for skeptical science too. That's kind of where I got my start with skepticalscience.com, which is kind of a climate myth debunking database. And that was like the first place that I was writing with skeptical science, and I still I'm still doing stuff there too. That's a volunteer basis website.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's certainly out there. Where where can people find you on social media or the internet or even uh, some of the organizations you're involved with?
0: Uh, yeah, social media. I'm mainly on Twitter, Dana nineteen eighty one. Um, And then at Citizens Climate Lobby, just, you know, doing stuff uh, all over the place for Citizens Climate Lobby. And then at Yale Climate Connections, you can just uh, go to, they have like a a contributors uh, tab on their website that you can look up my stuff there.
1: I'm gonna give you the last word here. Uh, Weather Geeks listeners are uh, pretty broad. We have a a really large listenership and uh, a, a range in terms of weather interest, climate interest, science interest, age range, perspective, political um, leanings and so forth. We we, ha- we run the gamut. So with that context, um, what what would you say as we move forward here in this changing climate and this at least sort of nudge in the right direction towards action with the passage of this uh, bill?
0: Yeah, I mean, I would like to see as many people as possible become engaged in the political process and encouraging their members of Congress to take the problem seriously and look for serious solutions, because we need like every member of Congress to be engaging on this, realizing that it's a top issue, a top priority for their voters and trying to find solutions to it. Um, so yeah, the more people can become engaged in working on that uh, and you know, encouraging the members of Congress, that is super, super important in getting solutions implemented.
1: And we do, we have a Geek of the Week this year. We like to highlight a scientist superstar, a great geologist, or a weather weenie at the end of every podcast. This episode's Geek of the Week is Zeke Caldon. Zeke is a meteorology student at SUNY Oswego and loves, and it's in capital letters, tornadoes. If you or someone you know would be a deserving candidate for our next Geek of the Week, check out our social media pages. Dana, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Yeah, thanks. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and we'll talk to you next time on Weather Geeks. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.